minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass in All Access podcast. We're only going to talk a little bit about the product that the Nationals put on the field this past weekend and this road trip, really. And we're going to focus on the Baseball America's new top 100 prospect list and maybe some position battles that we can kind of look forward to the rest of the season. Amy Jennings here. I'm going to bring in now my co-host, Bobby Blanco, um, from home at Zoom. Bobby just got back from his trip in Philadelphia. How are you doing? Bobby doing well doing well I got some unfortunate news uh yesterday that uh look sounds like some of the guys up in Philly not the Nationals no players but some of uh, the workers up in Philly had some issues with COVID that I was working with over the course of the weekend um, I've tested negative so far but just to be careful I want to keep my distance away from you guys and everyone else in the web studio just for a couple of days while I make sure that I am clear out of the way Thankful for Zoom. We can do this over Zoom and talk. And uh, yeah, I'm well, I'm doing well. Feel good. Just hopefully uh, be safe for the next couple of days. We're very appreciative of how considerate Bobby <laughs> is of his coworkers. So thanks for that, Bobby. Um, how was this weekend? Other than the losses, how was the weekend in Philly? Had you been to Citizens Bank before? I have not. I had not. I haven't gone to. I mean, it's kind of weird. Philly's what two hours away. Um, so it would. I haven't been to Philly that much in all my lifetime. But. Uh, Beautiful ballpark. Um, the Phillies were having a bunch of ceremonies throughout the course of the weekend. They did a couple of inductions to their Wall of Fame. They celebrated the World Series team on Sunday. I know people probably saw the things about Pete Rose. We won't talk about that. Um, but, yeah, beautiful ballpark. And I got to tell you, Amy, the press box food was very hyped going into this trip. And it lived up to it. Maybe surpassed it. Best press box food probably in the major leagues. They have... Hand scooped ice cream every single day. I ate ice cream every single day. It was delicious. I need to hop back on my Peloton this week because I <laughs> ate so much in Philly. I uh, awesome. got my cheesecake, got everything. Was it like you order and they bring it to you kind of like at Nats Park or is it a buffet situation? You go up and get it? What's. No, they're back in the buffet situation. They're like, you know, you walk in, you pay, and then you're, it's, all you can eat. You just keep just going back for more. They have, yeah, they have different, it's kind of cafeteria style. So, you know, they have someone serving you. You pick what you want, um, go back for more. They have hot dogs. They've got popcorn, some snacks. And then you, I think they close up like the fourth inning or so. And then you go back and get your little scoop of ice cream whenever you want. So it was, it was great. I, the Nationals did not play well, of course. They got swept over the four-game series. We had Thursday night. was a rain out. Um, we waited around for two hours before they finally called it. You know what? Josiah Gray and Patrick Corbin had their issues with the long ball on Friday and uh, Saturday. And then Sunday was another long game, another blowout loss for their fourth straight. So, yeah, let's not talk too much about it. It was cool to see Luke Voigt. We talked to Mackenzie Gore in the clubhouse on Thursday as well. So some of the new guys uh, showing up uh, in Philly, meeting the team there. So I was kind of excited to talk with them and see them play. And for Luke Voigt, Purdue, you know, he hit a couple, he hit a home run, um, drove in some runs. So that was that was good to see. Yeah, that was really good to see. It seems like kind of the newer guys were the only really upside of the offense this weekend. And I think what was frustrating was you brought up Thursday and that rain out and only going four and a half innings. And really, those were the best innings of baseball that the Nationals seemed to play all weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, in a weird way, it, it helped them because 
and you, you didn't know it at the time, but they needed their bullpen the next couple of days. Uh, and Paulo Espino was the only one to pitch Thursday night because of the rain out. He, he pitched into the fifth, I think it was before they called it um, or maybe after the fourth. So yeah, he, he was credit with a complete game. I think we had some issues talking with Nats PR and Elias sports bureau. He might be one of the oldest players to record a complete game. Um, third, or we don't remember the exact stat. Um, it wasn't official, but that's kind of an interesting nugget because you do get credited for a complete game when they call it early, which is funny in and of itself. But yeah, so that actually set them up for okay bullpen wise because they needed it. Josiah Gray didn't get deep, of course. Patrick Corbin not making out of the first for the second time in three uh, of his three of his last starts, um, and then Sunday too uh, with Corey Abbott, he he did his best. He had a good first inning, but then kind of fell off from there. So that actually worked out in their favor in terms of they had a lot of bullpen arms that were fresh for the weekend. That is a good point. We'll get into some moves that the Nationals might make in the rotation moving forward for the rest of the season. Off day Thursday, they might present some opportunities. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I want to start with Baseball America's top 100 prospect list. And exciting part about this is that the Nationals had five guys in the top 55 in that list. C.J. Abrams coming in at the top of that list, that number 11th ranked prospect, then Robert Hassel at 25, James Wood, 39, Elijah Green, 52, hit a bomb in his second at bat down in the Florida Complex League today, and then Kate Cavalli coming in there at 55. And this is exciting to see because we talked about it last week, Bobby, the Nationals are not going going to have to draft a lot better, develop a lot better, and and make better trade moves at the deadline. And four of these five guys, they either drafted in Elijah Green, well, both in Cade Cavalli, but most recently this year, Elijah Green, since they fully launched this rebuild, and then the other three guys are guys they got at the deadline. Yeah, and you, uh, Mackenzie Gore has, re- has graduated, so he's not included in there. Um, and then Yarlin Osuna, who also made his uh, Florida Complex lead debut today. Probably will be there in the next couple of years, maybe at the at the end of this season. Uh, he's a highly touted big uh, pitcher with a, with the triple-digit fastball, so we could probably see him squeak into some of these rankings sometime soon. Yeah, it's the first time the Nats have had five players in Baseball America's Top 100 since 2016, uh, which is a very long time, and we've talked about how deep this farm system was for so long, and then over the past couple of years, it's been depleted. And, of course, you know, that happens when you win a World Series and you make a bunch of trades and you try to acquire major league talent and you don't focus too much on drafting and developing, maybe as much as they should have, but here we are. Uh, and so, yeah, it is good to see that they have that much talent um, recognized by major outlets. Uh, you know, they've got a good amount in MLB pipelines, to, uh, top 100 coming out. They've got a couple coming out in fan graphs uh, and their overall farm system rankings are getting higher too, Amy. Uh, ESPN had them jumping from like, I think it was 22nd to 10 uh, the other day. Uh, they've jumped up as far as like eight. I think I've seen an MLB pipeline or, uh, or fan graphs. I think it was fan graphs actually mm-hmm. at, at number eight from the mid to le- later twenties. So that's what we said you need to do when you uh, trade away a Juan Soto and a Josh Bell, you need to acquire talent that immediately boosts your farm system. And that's exactly what happened with these guys coming in in high ranks and overall prospects, but also boosting the farm system of itself. Now it's a top 10 farm system. Exactly. 24th to 8th in that Fangraphs ranking, which is a pretty impressive jump. And this is the quickest way to do it. And it might be a few years before you see the complete results of a trade like this, but two names on this list and C.J. Abrams 
definitely we're going to see this year and possibly still Cade Cavalli. So, Bobby, in your opinion, I think they made it pretty clear that C.J. Abrams is going to be up sooner rather than later, maybe as soon as this next homestand, I think a lot of people are guessing. So what do you think the timeline is there, and does that really make sense? And then same thing with Cade Cavalli. Are we still expecting him to make his debut by the end of this season? Yeah, with Abrams, it's it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I think they're just looking for him to get acclimated to the system. It was tough for him because he came over, obviously, from the West Coast and coming to the East Coast now and had to join Rochester on the road. Um, they weren't actually at home yet. So now I think they're coming home for this week uh, after Monday's off day throughout the minor leagues. So they want him to get a little more settled in there this weekend. I know it would be interesting to bring him up to face the Padres. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do it in less than a week. He, he only's played three games with Rochester so far. Three for 11, two runs, two doubles, an RBI stolen base. He's also committed two errors at shortstop. One of them, though, was a very athletic play. He made a diving stop and then tried to throw it to the ball to second base um, while sitting down. Um, it went into the outfield, but it's still you could see the athleticism there mm-hmm. uh, and skill set at, at shortstop. So, um you know, I I don't know if you want to bring again the story of him facing the Padres this weekend would be very enticing, right? It's exciting. Uh, Juan Soto, Josh Bell coming back to face uh, the Nationals for the first time. You would have C.J. Abrams up here too, but I I wouldn't be surprised if they waited a little while longer. I, them being home too also kind of helps. Like, hey, you know, it's an easy transition from Rochester to Washington instead of having to go meet Washington on the road. Um, but I, I, that, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't rush him just yet, although there are some connections right there. And then for Cavalli, you just get the sense that they're trying to be as patient as possible with him, and they want to see consistency out of him. You look at his overall numbers in Rochester. He's 4-4 four and four with a 402 ERA and 18 starts, but he's pitched a lot better, I believe, since like end of June throughout July. Uh, he's got a 2-2-2 ERA and a uh, 10-65 whip. In 56 and two-thirds innings over his last 11 outings. So that's obviously a big improvement. That uh, 402 ERA overall in the season is inflated by some rough outings he had early on. Seems like he's calmed down a little bit. The whole, all along, the Nationals have said they want to see consistency. They want to make sure that he's actually ready to face major league hitters. He's trending in that direction right now. So if not August, probably September, we'll see Cade. Right, exactly. As far as Abrams, I kind of feel like, you know, if the Nationals wouldn't have been so forward about, you know, making it clear that Luis Garcia was getting work at second base and that Abrams was going to be up before the end of the season, I would have thought that maybe they considered, you know, putting him at AAA for the rest of the season, let him develop a little bit more, get a little more comfortable in this new organization because really he was rushed a little bit by the Padres because he had to fill in when Fernando Tatis Jr. got hurt and he didn't have the best results results there not bad you can see the talent there but maybe not completely ready to play every day at the major league level so I'm kind of surprised a little bit I guess at the Nationals it almost maybe feels like they're rushing him a little bit but I think you made a good point that this weekend with the Padres might be a little bit soon maybe they'll help they'll let him get two full weeks under his belt there in Rochester and then make the debut and then Cavalli like you mentioned they want they're being careful with him Clearly, because mm-hmm. we kind of guessed that maybe we would see him as soon as June <laughs> at the beginning of the season. And then he, he struggled a little bit throughout June. Now he has the ERA down to just above four, the whip right around one, um, like you said. But it's just 
it makes it puts more pressure on them because of the way that the starters at the major league level are performing right now. I mean, Patrick Corbin not making out of the first in two of his last three starts, and then you, you have Apollo Espino and you have an Anibal Sanchez, just true veteran guys that are just placeholders right now. So I think a lot of fans are like, maybe could it get any worse? Uh, tr- it's hard to find that balance between you know, the, sh- the struggles that the Major League team is facing right now and not wanting to rush one of your top prospects. Right, and like like you said, with the Corbin thing, like, I guess my point all along has been, yes, this is bad. A normal team probably can't do this every five days, but I don't know who else comes up and fills his spot. You also, think about this, you also have... Anibal Sanchez and Paulo Espino making regular starts too. So it's not like right. they have guys behind him or somewhere else to fill that. His best ability, literally his best ability right now is his availability. I know he doesn't get out of the first inning in two of his last three starts, but he has taken the ball every five days. I mean, he has been healthy. He has been able to pitch. The results obviously haven't been great. That's a different conversation, but his ability to go out there every five days is value right now. And Navy Martinez said so much as much like, you know, his value is starting for us. This was when people were asking him or we asked him about a possible move to the bullpen for Corbin, if that could help him or maybe skip a start. But he's like, we need him to start because right. he didn't, this is not Davey saying this, but he basically alluded to, there's no one really else to call up. Cavalli's not ready. Cole Henry's on the IL. That's it. I mean, who else did uh, Jackson Rutledge is at low single a, I mean, there's no one else that's able to come up right now and make that start for them. And they're getting by with Corbin, Anibal, and Espino. And that's like that's the state of this rotation. You know Josiah Gray is going to finish out the year. Uh, they're trying to actually space him out a little bit, maybe give him some extra rest to, one, make sure he can finish the year, and, two, that he stays healthy. Um, and then, you know, even Corey Abbott spots up in the air. Like, how many more starts can he make? Uh, you know, he might just not be up to snuff uh, to, to face major league hitters. So, yeah, this rotation is definitely up in the air and in flux. And right now, I don't see anyone who can immediately step in and take over any of those spots um, right now. Right, exactly. I mean, moving on to the position battle part of this conversation, and when you're talking about the rotation specifically, I mean, as far as the bullpen goes, there really aren't any options or wiggle room for arms right now. Um, But as far as the rotation goes, like you just said, I don't know that there. Like, there's even an opportunity for a battle. I mean, you have the Joanna Doan who might be able to find himself back in this rotation, but that doesn't really make sense. I think he finished with an ERA over seven in his, yep. what was it, 14 starts or something yep. like that. So there really isn't, there's no room. What's the battle? Because if Kate Cavalli is the next reasonable option, other than Kate, what do you do? You have to put Patrick Corbin out there every time you do. his turn. Yeah, you do. You really do. And it, that's that's kind of the unfortunate part of this because, like, yeah, I mean, Adone would probably be the most likely option right now. And like you said, ERA over seven. I mean, he just and he actually hasn't even pitched in Rochester since they last optioned him. Davey telling us that they're trying to give him some extra rest and have him work on a few things mechanically and stuff like that. So, you know, even if you know, you decide that Adon's okay to go. He's not built up anymore. I mean, he has to have a couple more outings back at Rochester to kind of get his arm strength. He's no good right now because he hasn't pitched in close to a month at this point. So, yeah, the options are are thin, if non-existent, if it's not Cavalli. Uh, and, and like I said, they're going to be cautious with him, which I think is, at this point, the right call. I mean, you, you could argue that 
you know, in a lost season like this, you would want to see top prospects coming up and see how they perform. But also in a lost season like this, what's the point of rushing them? I mean, what do you what realistically can you gain by rushing a Cade Cavalli right now and having him come up and pitch in Patrick Corbin's spots? Best case scenario, he gives you a couple of like, he, he gives you basically what Paulo Espino is giving you. You know, I mean, not like in the same style. Obviously, Cavalli has better stuff and a, a higher velocity fastball and everything. But like, you can't realistically expect Cavalli, who only went four innings in his start on Sunday, go five, six, seven at the major league level. I mean, that's just not realistic. So, yeah, it's kind of a sticky situation, a tricky situation right now because there are no options outside of Cavalli. And there's no point, in my in my opinion, no point in rushing him right now because, I mean, this is just what it is. Yeah, exactly. And it's a different conversation, too, I think, with position players compared to pitchers and then compared to pitchers with injury history or newer to the, to the game of pitching like Kate Cavalli. So I think that's a really good point. And, you know, you could just put him out there, but you're not a competitive team. And if, you know, you're saying, well, he could be better than Patrick Corbin, yeah, he could, but at what cost you start his clock and you know, for what you're not realistically winning a lot of those starts anyways. So that's just kind of what it is right now. And then kind of moving, I think into the infield where the main position battles are going to be for the rest of the season. And we already kind of touched on it a little bit is CJ Abrams. Davey Martinez said that Luis Garcia is getting uh, work at second base in the anticipation of C.J. Abrams moving into shortstop. And I mentioned last week that they're really opposite kind of players and that Luis Garcia coming up onto the scene, his bat was was his bright spot. And there's some questions with the defense. I think he's at minus 13 defensive run saves right now at shortstop. So you can see why the defense is a little bit of a concern. Um, and then you have the opposite of the spectrum with C.J. Abrams, where the defense is really elite. And there's been a little bit more questions with his bat um, and his base running. So it makes sense why they're going to put C.J. Abrams, the top 11 the 11th ranked prospect in baseball right now at his true position and give him a shot there. But what does that mean, Bobby, for Cesar Hernandez, who has gotten almost all the starts at second base this year? It's not looking good for Cesar Hernandez or, or Michael Franco, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, we, you heard reports and, you know, we were in there, like the clubhouse, when Luke Voigt arrived, he's also a veteran too. And like, to be blunt, he like you could tell was basically like not too excited that he was there. You know, no one wants to be traded from a contending team to a non-contending team, and he said as much. And he, but here we are. This is a situation I'm in. I'm gonna do my best I can, and he's gone out and done that. I think it's kind of the opposite right now for uh, Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez. They've been here. They've played throughout this entire bad year right now. They're having not great years themselves. Cesar Hernandez hit I think 16 home runs last night or last year, he hasn't hit a single all season long. And him and this is via Mark Zuckerman on massasports.com this morning. He and uh, Michael Franco are on pace to finish with the lowest OPS in nationals history with a player over 500 plate appearances. And that's, that's bad. That's obviously bad. Um, Cesar brings some pretty good defense at second base. Mikey has made some nice plays, but I, I don't think his sabermetric numbers stand out too, too much at third. So they're going to be the odd man's out, and I think they know it. I think the writing's on the wall for them. They kind of know that their playing time is going to be to a minimum pretty soon, 
um, when C.J. Abrams comes up, especially for for Cesar, because Luis is going to play second. That's might be where he's at right now. That he, that just might be his position from here on out. Because you know we talked about earlier in the season, Amy, Luis needs to be shortstop, shortstop, shortstop play. Where that whether that's in Rochester or or in D.C., he needs to play shortstop every single day, mm-hmm. and he has. And you see that there's signs of life there. Like it could be good, but it also it could also be really bad. That is CJ Abrams' strength, defense at shortstop. That's why the Nationals brought him over. He is one of the best, if not the best, defensive shortstops in the game right uh, in terms of prospects right now. So you come up, he plays short, Luis goes to their second, where he actually has fewer errors at second base than he does at shortstop over his first two seasons. Uh, and then that kind of fills your infield, and then Cesar's the odd man out, and probably Michael Bronco gets odd man out too, uh, with Ildarmo Vargas playing more at third base. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned that OPS. Michael Franco is a 592 OPS, which is the third worst among those qualified National League hitters, and uh, Cesar Hernandez is just a little bit better at 611, which is the fourth worst among National League hitters. So that's pretty bad for two veteran placeholders is really all you can call it. Um, But then I guess the next question is who plays third base? Is Yodomaro Vargas the answer for an everyday third baseman, at least for the remainder of this season? Yeah, he might be. I mean, I think he's 30, 31 years old right now. He's a journeyman. He used to play for the Cubs. I mean, but you can tell there is a, this like, when we're going to see a, a distinct difference at shortstop when Abrams comes up versus Garcia, and even before him, I'll see this Escobar. There's a distinct difference when Vargas is playing third versus when Franco's playing third. And like, I'm not just talking about that weird play last night with the double steal um, in Chicago. Like, Vargas actually, he's been touted his entire career as a great defensive third baseman. You can see right. quick hands, quick reaction time, good on his feet, sets his feet, plants and throws. The Nationals are actually trying to get Luis Garcia to kind of mirror what he does at third while playing short. Like, get the ball out of your hand, set your feet, uh, don't take that extra step, don't overthink it, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, and Vargas is, produces the plate too. I think, I don't know what he did last night off the top of my head, but I think he was like six for 10 over the weekend in Philly when he played. So I, that's just, I know a small sample size, but that is. Face value, better production than what you're getting from Michael Franco. So why not throw him out there? Again, another journeyman, but at this point, he's all you got right now, and he's the best option of the two. Yeah, I think you're more likely to see him stick at third and Michael Franco kind of get pushed out, and maybe you'll see Luis Garcia and Cesar Hernandez split a little bit of time at second base only because Luis Garcia is hitting 290 with a 295 on base percentage. He only has two walks this season. Two walks. Um, yeah. He's got to figure something out there. <laughs> With Garcia? Yeah, Luis Garcia. I mean, yeah. he's your future. If he's going to be your future at second base, I understand you have to put him out there every day, but he has some stuff to figure out at the plate as well. So if you're going to keep one of those two guys around, maybe it's more likely to be Cesar Hernandez than it is to be Michael Franco and keep Hernandez you know, at, at, as a guy off the bench. I, I, I think it's not even a contest. Luis is bat is way better than Cesar's. I would always rather have Luis Garcia hitting than Cesar, who's hitting 241 over the season. Um, he basically hasn't missed a game. He's played in 110 games and a 611 OPS, um, three triples, two 22 doubles, 
no home runs, like I said. I say Luis at least brings a little more power. Now you can make I can get along board of well, matchups might favor Cesar because he's a switch hitter at times. But I, I'm taking Luis Garcia's bet every single time over Cesar Hernandez. I mean, well, you also mentioned like he's the future. So what let him play. Let him see major league pitching. And we've seen him do some pretty good hitting against some pretty good pitchers too. And like, right. yeah, it's not all perfect. It's not all great. He hasn't quite hit for power just yet, but he's hit, he can go gap to gap. I mean, he's, he's got a great swing from the left side. I, I'm taking Luis Garcia over Cesar no matter what. And I, yeah, his numbers better 290 batting average, uh, 295 on base percentage, and then a 716 OPS. So slightly better, but it comes down to Luis Garcia is going to be the future of this team where Cesar Hernandez and Michael Franco clearly aren't. And, you know, then you add in the aspect that you mentioned is that they kind of seem checked out as well. And that's a big part of it. If you're going to have veterans on this guys on this team, especially guys that are playing every day, they at least have to be a good clubhouse presence and, you know, bringing up this team in a year like this. And if they're not doing that, then what's the point? (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, I'm like, you don't have to be in the Nats clubhouse to see that. I mean, last night that game against the Cubs was, was not good for either Cesar that or double Mike steal Franco. play with Michael Franco just stopping. I mean, that yeah. right there is you see it. I mean, you're not going to hear it on air. You might see it being written, but to me, that is just not paying attention. He's just not paying attention. He was not locked in on the game as he should be as the third baseman. Um, you know, he might have stopped, started too late or just didn't know. I mean, that's just a lack of awareness right there. And then you can see a couple of times too. Uh, the couple of plays that went over to Cesar, just showing real no real emotion, not engagement into in, into the game or anything like that. So that's kind of difficult. And I get it. Like right, you know, they these are guys that probably both figured they would have been traded at the deadline to a team that needed, you know, some sort of power bat and and Franco and versatility and Cesar, and that didn't happen. Um, but I mean, I, you can't check out right now, and like I can't imagine that Davey didn't notice that either. And we saw. Bronco got subbed out at the end of the game. I, uh, Joey, was it Joey Manessis? Or no, Josh, Josh Palacios. Palacios yep, yeah. Oh. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's, that one small move of pinch hitting in the ninth with a runner, with two runners on, I think, actually, that is t- very telling that the Nationals are already thinking of moving on from Franco and Cesar. Right, exactly. Davey Martinez wasn't, you know, direct in his post-game press conference. You know, he, he mentioned why it was a better matchup maybe for Josh Palacios there. But sure. just like you said, I think it's pretty clear um, the situation and, and why you might do that. And that is, is very telling. Um, and then I think as far as first base, I think you're pretty much set in that Luke Voigt is going to be your first starting first baseman every day for, for the remainder of the season. Right. But then he can't play every single day. I mean, that brings up the question, well, who plays it when he's not playing? Uh, because, you know, obviously Nelson Cruz can't. Um, they think uh, Joey Manessis is a good, I mean, that's a good story. He can fill in every once in a while. But Riley Adams is getting reps at first base at AAA Rochester. And they've even thought about throwing him in the corner outfield spots. So, don't forget about Riley Adams at AAA. Rosters expand. Two open spots open up in September. So, you know, I don't know if you bring up Riley just to play first base, but that's an option that the Nationals are exploring of maybe transitioning Riley into a catcher first baseman type that can both catch and also play first base when needed. They, they talked about this, of course, early on 
um, in the season, even later last season. Um, and now it's coming kind of to fruition where he's getting actual reps in game situations with the Red Wings um, and can possibly play if he comes back up here at National uh, Nationals Park. Uh, first base right exactly Joey Manessis you know if they decide to keep him around he played his first three games at first base that was before Luke Voigt arrived so that makes sense but if you keep him around he could be a backup option there he can also play the outfield so that's kind of another option he might be a utility guy if you do decide to keep him around and then yeah Riley Adams Davey Martinez said he he's trying him out you know as many positions as possible and it kind of seems like first base is very likely in Riley Adams' future. So if they decide to bring him up this year, he could be another option there. So I think that'll be interesting. There might be actually more of a position, actual battle at first base than any of these other positions we mentioned. Yeah, it'd also be interesting to see how they approach Riley to pair with Tres Barrera as Caber Ruiz's backup. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're not giving up on him, Riley, that is, as a catcher. That's for sure. So, you know, he could theoretically come back up and, and catch more. Um, but I just think that they also foresee him being able to play first base pretty well. And the the throwing him in the outfield was kind of weird for me. Riley's a big guy. I mean, he's a big, like, you know, target behind the plate as a catcher. You right. kind of see that, like, build, like, that build playing first base like a Luke Voigt type. I don't really – I mean, he's an athletic guy. Don't get me wrong. I don't see him playing in the outfield very well. Um, he could prove me wrong. That would be, that'd be pretty cool to see. But right now it's going to be first and catcher. And if he does come up, how is Davey going to manage three catchers at, this, at one – I guess two and a half if you want to say Riley's getting at-bats at first base. Exactly. But, you know, I guess it's kind of telling, too, that Tress has been here and stayed here, and they haven't – done the switch back yet Mm -hmm. I think it is yeah I think Riley Adams in the outfield is a bit of a stretch but if necessary you never know and moving on to the outfield do you think that there's really any real position battles out there I mean you have Yadiel you have Lane you have Victor I mean now you have Josh Palacios who might get some time out there maybe Joey Manessis who came in hit a home run last night um these guys are proving to be a little bit useful. Davey Martinez is pinch-hitting them in big situations or bigger situations. Um, do you think there's any real battles out there or it's kind of set and these guys might cycle through as long as they're here? I think this is the guys you're going to see. And when I wrote about this on MassonSports.com the other day, I mentioned, you know, don't forget about Donovan Casey down at, at AAA Rochester, one of the four players that came back last year from the Dodgers for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. You know, they brought him up earlier in the year, but he never actually made his debut. And since then, he's been hitting poorly. I, it feels like he's been maybe pressing too much at AAA, trying to get back to the major leagues. They moved him all, all the way down to the hole in their lineup. This is a team that has also lost 17 straight games uh, at Rochester. So I, I mentioned Donovan Casey as a possible guy to keep an eye on for the second half or these last two months of the season. But then, Amy, right before we went on air, the Nationals DFA'd him and uh, and uh, claimed Jake McGee, a left-hander from the Brewers, a left-handed reliever. So, yeah, he's probably not an option anymore. So this is it. You're going to have Victor playing center most nights. And you're going to have Lane, Yadiel, and uh, Josh Palacios roaming the outfield for the rest of the season. I, you're right. It's not much of a battle. I think it's just proving your worth through the rest of the season. Can Victor show that he is a long-term piece that worth building around um, as a center fielder. Can Lane Thomas continue to add value to the trade with John Lester and the Cardinals from last year? You know, pretty much anything you're getting out of Lane Thomas at this point 
is, is a good sign. Could he possibly, you know, those two guys are going to be fighting over the leadoff spot. Can one of them emerge as a true leadoff hitter? Um, and Yadiel Hernandez, I mean, he's 34 years old, but he's under team control until he's 40. And he might be one of the better left-handed bats in this lineup at this point, especially on days that Luis Garcia sits. So uh, that's that's your alpha. Josh Palacios is a nice story too, um, 26-year-old, but those are your four guys playing the outfit right now. I don't expect that to change anytime soon because there's no one outside Donovan Casey. There's no one really else. I mean, I don't know who you else. You're not going to bring up Andrew Stevenson from Rochester because, you know, to send him back down, he's going to have to go through waivers and everything. So I don't know who else you bring up. Yeah, there really aren't any options, you know, right on, on <laughs> the It's becoming a sad podcast, Amy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, gosh. Um, but, you know, Davey Martinez did say he's going to give as many guys a chance uh, for the remainder of the season, you know, see as many guys at different positions as possible and try to put the best lineup out there every day that he can. And it seems so far like he's really doing it and giving these guys a true chance, which is at least exciting to see, not only for these guys, but, you know, for the future of this team and trying to win. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, as for the bullpen, I mentioned McGee, and this is a bullpen that didn't doesn't have a left-hander. That was maybe an, a point of argument to transitioning Corbin to the bullpen mm-hmm. to have a lefty, but now he takes over a lefty spot So when he joins the Nationals. So there's your left-hander in the bullpen, and, and that's the strength right now, right, for the team. The bullpen is their best part. I mean, really? the only yeah. way this team is going to win games – down the stretch, Amy, is if they get a lead and hand over to the bullpen. That's 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 it because we've seen the starting pitchers can't get deep into games and are usually leaving the team behind. And then the offense doesn't have the pop to win a shootout. I mean, we talk about that game on uh, Thursday night in Philly. I think the final score was 5-4 to four in five innings. And, you know, people are saying, oh, they're coming back. You know, we clearly saw the Nationals don't have the pop to match up with the Phillies. That game was going to end up as a loss no matter what because they were down one heading off to the bullpen, not up one heading over to the bullpen. The Phillies out-homered the Nationals 14-1 to this weekend. 14-1. <laughs> and it was one. Luke Voigt who had the one home run. It was the one homer from Luke Voigt, right. And when I heard that, read that, I, I didn't believe it. I thought that was over the season. No, 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 no. That was... Just these four games, 14 to one. So this offense doesn't have the pop to win a shootout or, or blow a team out anymore. Obviously, when you lose Juan Soto and Josh Bell, it's, that could happen. So the only way this team is going to win games, get a lead by the fourth or fifth inning and hand it over to hopefully a rested bullpen because the starting pitching and the offense isn't up to snuff to, to do it any other way. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when you're playing from behind every night, that doesn't help when just like you mentioned, you, you don't have the, the power in your bats to, to fight from behind like that. And then your starting pitching is giving up all of those runs so early and your bullpen is coming in as early as the first inning. I mean, that that makes it that's an impossible recipe for success. It's impossible to win like that. Uh, so that's those are two things that the Nationals are going to have to figure out. Another number to throw out, just not to keep harping on how bad this weekend was, but the Phillies outscored the Nats 36 to 12 over these four games. 36, the Nationals scored 12 runs over four games. There was one game where the Phillies scored 13 in nine innings, not even eight and a half because they didn't bat in the ninth. Right. <laughs> eight innings, they scored 13 runs. The Nats scored 12 over 36 innings. That's that's just not going to work. I I hate. 
we're t- you're sitting here talking. It's like, here's the Nationals' problem. Here's how they don't have a solution. Right. It's not a very happy podcast right now. So maybe we can talk some about some of the prospects that are doing well uh, down the we system. Will. We'll, we'll have to give an update on that. But the good news about that is, is that I think officially launching this complete rebuild means that yeah. they are going to work towards a solution um, and you're not in this situation again. And it starts with drafting well. It starts with developing well. It starts with making better moves at the trade deadline, which I think at this point, you know, with five guys in the top 55, it's safe to say that this year with this draft so far and at this trade deadline, the Nationals made some moves that made significant strides towards the solution. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know what? We're- you know, a lot of comments coming in um, on our podcasts, on our videos, on the, on the website, on Twitter, and and all fans are doing are pointing to the future, right? That's kind of what you can only do. We talked about that last week, right? That's really the only thing you can do right now is point to the future. Yeah, these last what forty nine games are going to be tough. They're going to be real tough over the course of these next two months. But we talked about the farm system getting in the top ten in a couple of rankings. We have the most prospects in the top 100 that for the nationals that we've seen in six years, um, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing them line up with other top farm systems. I, I look at the Orioles too. They have, uh, I believe all, they have six. I think the nationals had five and I can't believe it was, I think it was baseball America. The Orioles had six, but all five of the nationals were ranked higher than their bottom three for the Orioles. That's a good sign. The Orioles are a great farm system to, you know, kind of, you know, mold yourself by, follow by. That's a good blueprint. So already a good start for these guys. We'll see Abrams graduate eventually this year. Cake Valley probably won't graduate until next year because he might not have enough time. But yeah, it's it's it is fun to look at the future and down the line. Uh, because right now the present uh, at the major league level isn't pretty. Right. The rest of this year and probably next year, it's going to be getting excited about a really good at bat that Luis Garcia has or Elijah Green going yard or CJ Abrams makes a really nice play. And it's going to be those little moments uh, uh, that, that kind of get you through. But exciting as far as looking towards the future and, and some of this talent that the Nationals have. Anything else before we get out of here, Bobby? I, I just like I was going to ask, have you seen some of those fans? I think it's mostly on Twitter, like already creating like future lineups for the Nationals. With, I did. Did like, you Luis see Garcia, K Bear, Elijah Green, CJ Ab- uh, Abrams, um, you know, Kate Cavalli and Mackenzie Gore in this rotation. Like that's exciting. The prospect of that is exciting. Can they actually get to that point in a couple of years? Obviously, remains to be seen, but that part is exciting. Looking at all these big names, like we said, Elijah Green hitting a home run in his second professional at bat today. That was cool. Uh, Yarlin Asuna, uh, Susana, sorry, um, struck out four and in two innings in his uh, rookie level debut tonight too. So, you know, there, there are things are happening on the farm. Make sure you follow along because we'll have probably more coverage of that stuff right, right now than the major league level right now as, as the season comes down to a close. Right. And the good part is they're playing right now and you can kind of follow along with all of those scores, all of those stat lines. So look for that video on MILB. So that's kind of exciting to see. Um, all right, Bobby, thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks for um, sparing us of any COVID exposure, even though I'm glad you're feeling well and I hope you do not get sick. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I feel good so far. I'm glad uh, you guys are all doing well, and hopefully you enjoy your vacation this weekend. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you next week, Bobby. All right, see ya. Thanks, Amy.
All right, that's going to be it for the Mass and All Access podcast. You can watch on all of your favorite podcasts. Listen on all of your favorite podcast pl- platforms and Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of that good stuff. Um, Bobby is Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. I'm at Amy Jennings News. Thank you to Tim Leonard for producing this podcast behind the scenes. We'll be back next week with more prospect updates and more. Thanks for tuning in. 